on Sunday, February 5th, 2017, I will never forget the excitement, the thrill I felt at the halftime of Super Bowl 51. The Atlanta Falcons were leading the New England Patriots a whopping 28-3. And I'll never forget saying, even if they play terribly in the second half, I said this to a friend of mine who was also a fan, there's no way, there's no way they could blow a lead this big. Have you ever said something out loud and immediately the second it leaves your mouth, you feel sick for having said it? That was me. And with an almost superstitious terror, I realized I had unwittingly cursed my home team. And no amount of recanting on my part could stem the tide that was Tom Brady. Atlanta lost that night 34-28. to I was sick to my stomach when years later I heard someone say, statistically, if the Falcons took a knee for every play of the second half, they could have bled the clock dry and won the game. The Falcons failed me and so many of you so spectacularly that Sunday night, I wore a Detroit Lions t-shirt on Monday morning. Nothing could be more humiliating than being the fan of a team that imploded so ingloriously on the national stage. And that includes my wearing a t-shirt of the only team in NFL history that's ever gone 0-16 in a regular season. Not with one single win. I would rather ascribe myself to those people than the Falcons at that point. You know, it's, it's funny, I think, in some ways, how we all tend to do this. We distance ourselves from massive failures, from total screw-ups, from the black sheep of our very own family. We don't want to be associated with losers or deadbeats or 'er ne'er-do-wells or anybody else that makes us look worse. It's human nature to want to sweep failure under the rug, even if those failures share the same blood in their veins and the same name on their driver's license. How fortunate we are then that our Lord, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, of Jacob, and now of Moses and Aaron, is not the kind of God who so easily abandons those who abandon Him. In fact, the Lord's family is comprised entirely of failures. Past, present, and future. And the good news for us this morning is that those are the very people whom He loves and works through the most in this world. Not the high and mighty, not those that have it all together, but the Moseses and the Aarons of the world. See, last week we watched as a cocky Moses waltzed into the throne room of Pharaoh, ad-libbing what God told him to speak verbatim. Moses and Aaron came in their own power and authority, but Pharaoh, much to their surprise, drove them out in his power and authority. And worst of all, he made not Moses and Aaron suffer the consequences, 
He made the very people they were coming to advocate for. He made the common people suffer for their mistake. And their arrogance made an already back-breaking labor all the more unbearable for the Hebrew people. And the Hebrews who once believed in Moses and his message now turned their backs on him. He came preaching the sweet sense of freedom but now they have found that He made them stink to Pharaoh. Stink of slavery and subjection. And so Moses turns to God and essentially says, what have you done? Isn't that interesting? Moses is at fault. He's to blame. And yet he turns to the Lord and says, why have you burdened your people? with even more trouble when you promised that you'd rescue them. See, Moses went into Pharaoh's court wearing an Atlanta Falcons jersey. And he came back to God in a Detroit Lions t-shirt. But the Lord wasn't phased by this at all. He wasn't surprised by the fair-weather fandom of Moses. In fact, he says, Moses, watch what I am, not you, what I am about to do. And our passage this morning picks up right at this spot where the Lord, not Moses, not Aaron, not Pharaoh, not anybody else, but the Lord stoops down low in love to redeem His family of failures. That brings us to our passage here this morning. Look with me starting in verse 2 and going through verse 13 here. And these first two verses, 2 and 3, God reminds Moses and all of us who read by extension of who He is. Not who we are. That's what we love to do in America. Talk about who we are. What's our identity? Let's start with us first. No, no, no. That's not the Lord's agenda. Who He is. He says, I am the Lord. Who am I? I was the one that appeared to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob as God Almighty. But I was not known to them by my name, the Lord. Even they didn't know the full power of what that name entails. It's interesting that after the disaster of chapter 5, Moses returns to the Lord indeed, and he comes with his tail tucked between his legs and a finger-whacking in God's face. And we miss this in the English, but he doesn't call Him by His name. He doesn't call Him the Lord, the capital L-O-R-D. But he returns saying, Lord, lowercase L-O-R-D. It's a different word in Hebrew. He doesn't call Him by His name. Yahweh, He comes saying, Adonai. When Moses feels shame or skepticism in his relationship to God, He pulls away. The intimacy disappears. He doesn't come using His name, but He comes using a cold, sterile title for God instead. But the Lord, full of grace and truth, reminds Moses of what He first told him when He appeared to him in the burning bush. But Moses, no matter how bad you've failed, no matter how miserable you've made life, for the people that you love, 
Remember, I am who I am. I am the God of Abraham, the doubter. I'm the God of Isaac, the partial. I'm the God of Jacob, the trickster. They didn't even know my full name. They didn't see the full power of what it means for me to be I am who I am. And yet, I have revealed my name and my character and my authority fully to you. Perhaps this morning, Christian, you find yourself dragging your feet into church, feeling as unworthy and as embarrassed before God as Moses did. You've gone yet another week without making any progress in your life. Any discernible measure of improvement. Perhaps you've gone another week where you can't break free from that addiction or that sin. Perhaps you've gone another week where you've failed to reconcile with a friend or a family member and you feel ashamed over that. Whatever it is that keeps you from feeling like you ought to be loved by Him, God says, even to you, I am who I am even for you, sinner. Even for you. See, when we look at the Scriptures and we see the characters that God deals with, we see that He deals with all the the rascals and criminals of the world. I don't know where in the trajectory of evangelical history we came to believe that we've got to be so put together. We've got to be so impressive to one another. It's almost as if we don't believe that God really loves and works through sinners. We've got to get our act together. We've got to stop smoking and drinking and dancing. That's the old ways. You know, we've got to do, stop doing all that stuff. But then we, we got, we got to vote this way. And we got to have these opinions about social issues. And we've got to have these concerns. And it's if we ignore the fact that the only people God ever works with in Scripture are utter messes. But God says, even to those utter messes, I am who I am for your sake. The same God established His everlasting covenant with scoundrels, with known draft dodgers, with known uh, uh, credit card scammers of the ancient world. People that renege on their oaths and responsibilities. God establishes His eternal, impeachable covenant with these people. And although we read they were ethnic immigrants and outsiders, and although they were spiritual vagabonds and wanderers, the Lord promises, even to these rotten, low-down, mangy people, I will give you a land of your own. And although you groan and suffer now, I will set you free from the slavery that keeps you in chains. But notice this, folks. It's not because of anything they did or said or thought or believed or were. God doesn't keep His covenant based on what we bring to the table. 
but because the Lord, the Lord, always remembers His covenant with sinners. That's who He was then. That's who He is now. And that's who He always will be. And since this is the kind of God He is, what He's going to do for this family He's established, He answers in verses 6-8. through Therefore, tell the Israelites that I am the Lord. You may be who you are, but don't forget I am who I am. I'll bring you out of forced labor. I'll rescue you from slavery. I'll redeem you with an outstretched arm of great acts of judgment against your enemies. I'll take you as my people. I'll be your God. I'll bring you to the land that I swore to give to your grandfather and great-grandfather and great-great-grandfather. I'll give it to you as a possession. Why? Because I am who I am. Does it say anything about how Moses will act or Pharaoh will react? No. Does it say anything here about how Israel will receive it or how Egypt will respond? No. Seven times in these verses we read the great I am say, I will. I am who I am and I will do what I will do. For whom I will do it. These are the promises that He sets out for these people that don't need that have no virtue in them, no heroic qualities. Now, Deuteronomy just gets straight to the point. I loved you not because you were the greatest of every nation, not because there's anything interesting about your ethnicity. There wasn't. You're the least of all people. Who cares if you're from the Middle East? I loved you because I loved you. And there's nothing you can do to stop me from loving you. Seven times we read the great I Am say, I will... I will bring you out. I will rescue you. I will redeem you. I will take you as my people. I will be your God. I will bring you to the land. And I will give it to you as a possession. This has once been, is now, and always will be the agenda of the Lord for people like us. The acts of the Lord are to redeem the enslaved to covenant with the nobodies, to give the gift of belonging, of home, of love to those who have nothing. Freedom, family, future for sinners. Then you will know, Maranatha, that I am the Lord. Christian, today you must remember that this God of the Old Testament of the ancient Near East, is your God too. For whatever faces you on Monday morning. For whatever faces you in 2022. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob might as well be described as the God of Deborah and Alex and Ralph. The God of Elizabeth and James and Ryan. The God of Priyanka and Danny and Sarah. No matter what troubles you, no matter what sorrows overwhelm you, it's Not you. And it's not your inconsistencies and idiosyncrasies that bring you out of your trouble, but rather it is the Lord. The Lord who rescues, redeems, and restores you and me. 
And in light of this, the Lord can say to Moses with a straight face, you go and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. Now, we could end the sermon right there. But I feel like it wouldn't give us a full glimpse of the human nature that was in us. Because Moses could have said, you know what, you're right, Lord. I messed it up last time, but let's go. But what does Moses say here? How does he respond after this rousing speech from the Lord? It could bring the walls of Jericho down. He says, well, the Israelites didn't listen to me last time. Then how's Pharaoh going to listen to me? I'm such a poor speaker, after all. You almost want to sigh. Is that not, it's one of the, I feel like this is a, uh, one of the speeches that the Lord gives. It's like something dramatic in a, in a good movie, you know. It's a William Wallace speech from Braveheart. She'll get you stirred up. And, and the anticlimax is saying, ah, well, I don't know. It's not really a good day for me. I'm feeling a little indigestion. Don't want to speak. But this is good for us to see because that is our human nature. No matter when we see the promises of God, when we see how clear the gospel is, and our hearts should swell with joy and worship, we respond with, oh, but I'm tired today. That's who we are. And yet, notice that this doesn't stop the Lord from accomplishing goodness in the life of His people. Even when they give some lousy excuse back to Him. Moses replies to God with the same excuse as we do. Lord, I'm a poor speaker. Lord, I'm just too busy. It's, it's a tough season for me, God. I just got a lot of stuff going on. Got a lot of appointments and meetings this week. I just don't have the money right now. Or maybe we just are honest about it and say, Lord, I just don't want to do it. Send somebody else but me. But the Lord responds with the same patience as before. He doesn't come in wrath and thunder against Moses and Aaron, although they quite honestly deserve it at this point. He comes to them in love because He doesn't expect them uh, to trust in their selves or their knowledge or their ability, but He comes to them reminding them that they can trust Him and then go in life. See, this is how the Lord works in our world, Christians. He trusts people like this. Not the big and the mighty and the powerful. Not the rich, the wise, or anything else. He goes through people with stuttering speech and shaky knees. He comes to a couple of old men in their 80s to come before the greatest military and economic force of the ancient world. And He'll work through them. He doesn't send... Charlton Heston, or more recently, Christian Bale, into the throne room of Moses. He sends guys that can barely get out of bed in the morning. Not only are they weak physically, they're spiritually weak. And yet, this is exactly the kind of family that the Lord adopts in this world. Not ones that can offer power and prestige, but ones that are Eat up with poverty. Physically, socially, mentally, and of course, spiritually. 
It's interesting then, isn't it, that now is the time in the middle of this we get a, an oddly placed genealogy. I know we groan when genealogies come up in the Bible. We say, well, what's the purpose of this? Well, let's remind ourselves that these two people that are now being asked to do the most important thing in the history of the world up until this point, they don't seem all that impressive to us. Not even from a familial standard. Certainly not to the Israelites who their lives have, they've made infinitely harder. Moses gets that right. He says, the Israelites don't like me. We've really complicated their lives. But revealing their genealogy does reveal that they are, in fact, a bona fide part of the family of Israel. Which more importantly reminds us that even when they're bad, when they're at their lousiest, that they're still a part of God's plan for this world. Not only for the people of Israel, but for the blessing of all nations everywhere. See, back in Genesis 12 and 15, God approached Abraham, a pagan Babylonian of his day. And He promised him that through him, remember, Abraham was ancient at the time. He was old. He was getting close to a hundred. And his, and his wife was elderly too. He promised through these two decrepit senior citizens that would come a nation as full as the sands of the sea, as the stars in the sky. He would establish and bless the world through little old Abraham and Sarah. But first, they would go through a fiery crucible. God said that they would be in slavery for 400 years. And sure enough, Abraham's great-great-grandson, Levi, died in Egypt. The Scripture tells us here at 137 years. Then he had a son named Koath that died in slavery at 133 years. And finally, we read about a man named Amram, the father of Moses and Aaron, who also died there at 137 years. Now together, these three ancestors of Moses and Aaron, Levi, Koath, and Amram, together we read that they comprise 407 years. That's the number that the Lord said that those people would be enslaved. But in other words, what that means now is that the time for God's promise of redemption has arrived. Whether Moses or Aaron or anyone in Israel believed it. Because God said it's going to be 400 years. 400 years has passed. It doesn't matter what the people of God are doing, how they're misbelieving, how they're distrusting. God is about to do what God is about to do. That's how God works in our lives too, Christian. Just think, <clears throat> in your own family history, just think of the weird ways that it is, it's your, your lineage has weaved and wrapped in such a convoluted mess that it sometimes sees you look at where you came from and what you came out of, that the future for you could only be a tangled mess of knots. But God, the Lord, the I Am who I Am was at work in your great-great-grandparents' generation. 
He's at work in your generation. And here's what we really have a hard time believing. He'll be at work in your great-great-grandchildren's generation if he should tarry. It has nothing to do with you now. It doesn't matter if you believe it now or obey it now. It doesn't matter who you vote for. It doesn't matter how you live. The Lord is going to be faithful and do what He's going to do despite how anybody on this earth responds to it. And that's very good news for people like us. But where were we? Uh, Yes, we had this weird genealogical interruption. But we get back, and, and, and Moses, in recounting this, just kind of repeats what's happened before. The Lord, who's proved His glory time and again, is now telling Moses to go before Pharaoh. And Moses has said, but I'm shy and tongue-tied and whatever excuses he offered. And so that proves to me at least we're dealing with just another typical person whom the Lord has deemed and His unfathomable unfathomable grace to call his family. Moses the excuse maker. He'd fit right in. He'd be a good Baptist. He's filled with BS and excuses. But here's where things get interesting, I think. The Lord says that He has made Moses like what to Pharaoh? Let's think think for a second. Moses has been an utter mess. He's come up, he's, he's grown up in a rich home with all the privileges of Egypt, but suddenly he gets brave when he's about 40 years old and goes out and, you know, kills an Egyptian and tries to be a great social crusader. But when he sees it's going to have consequences, he's a coward and he flees into the wilderness. And he lives in anonymity. He's a, he's a shepherd w- farmer with a bunch of pagans. Uh, and, 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 and then he comes back and the Lord has to drive him like cattle back into Egypt to, to be a great prophet. And he talks and complains about, I can't speak good and I can't do anything. So the Lord rolls his eyes and gives him Aaron. Then he gets cocky. And he, after all this, you know, woe is me, he gets arrogant and goes into the throne room of Pharaoh and says, this is what I think you should do, Pharaoh. And Pharaoh enslaves his people even harder. And Moses says, this is the character that we're dealing with, just so we're clear. God says, I will make you like God Himself to Pharaoh. What? Moses? Hasn't the Lord been paying attention to Exodus 1-7? through Hasn't He been reading along with the story so far? He's going to make this person that's prone towards flippancy or cowardice or arrogance, He's going to make him like God. God, a representative of the holy name and agenda of the Lord? Yes! That's the unbelievable grace of God on full display. He commissions only the most sin-stained people to be His ambassadors of His holy name and His holy word. That's the only people that God has to work with in this world. Stop hierarchalizing people. Oh, she's way more holy than I could be. Oh, he's such a greater Christian than I could be. No, they're not. We're all sinners. We're all Moseses. And yet the Lord and His grace says, no matter how many times you've failed me, no matter how many times you've sinned, I am going to make you equal 
and standing with me before Pharaoh. Folks, this is what it means then and now and in the future to belong to the Lord's family. It does not mean, I don't care what evangelicals have popularly come to believe in this country, it does not believe that we're better or smarter or richer or prettier or more talented or more deserving than anyone. That's not what it means. It means while the world prizes only the most beautiful and the best. The Lord loves the least. And that's why He loves Maranatha Baptist Church. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians, brothers and sisters, consider your calling. Paul writes this to us, folks, whether he realized he was doing it or not. Not many of you were wise from a human perspective. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were of noble birth. Instead, God has chosen what is foolish in this world to shame the wise. And God has chosen what is weak in this world to shame the strong. God has chosen what is insignificant and despised in this world, what is viewed as nothing, to bring to nothing what is viewed as something. And what's the purpose of all this? He summarizes, so that no one, not a soul, may ever boast in His presence because it is from Him that you are in Christ Jesus, who became wisdom from God for us, our righteousness and sanctification and redemption in order that as it is written, let the one who boasts Boast in the Lord. The Moseses and Aaron's and Israelites of this world cannot boast in themselves or in their family heritage or in their cultural identity. And none of us can. We can't brag about we were born in this country. We were born uh, this family. We have this last name. We are in this tax bracket. We went to this school. None of us can boast in anything but only in Christ Jesus who became wisdom incarnate. The concept of wisdom putting on a body, that's Jesus. And He, in all of His great wisdom and all of His infinite knowledge, took on our foolishness took on our fallen flesh without having any sin in and of Himself so that by living and suffering and dying on a cross and rising from a tomb for us, that we might become the full-time family of God. St. Athanasius, the great church father of old, said it this way, Jesus Christ became what we are so that we might become what He is. So the Lord sends Moses and Aaron, of all rotten people, to be preachers and prophets of God, because to be in the Lord's family is to be so bound tightly, so enmeshed together with Him in Christ, that we, Paul tells us, are united in the very mystical body of the Lord Jesus. 
in some unspeakable way. We form the hands and feet and even God help us the mouth of the Lord in the world today. And despite our fleshly failures and sinful struggles, and boy, do we all have that. We are united to Christ by the love and grace and mercy of our Lord. And He commissions us. He commissions everybody in this room. Let me get real particular about this. I'm talking to real human beings. He commissions us today to be Moses and Aaron's to this world. To be preachers and prophets. You don't need seminary training. You don't need ordination ordination licenses. You simply need to be obedient to, to share in the joy of giving this Gospel to every living creature. We, like these people, however, will face many a Pharaoh in this life. There's many cruel people in our world who hold earthly power, whether it's in the boardrooms or whether it's in the congressional halls. There's always going to be people like Pharaoh who harden their hearts against the Gospel. Against the ones that the Lord loves. Because they hated God first and now Jesus says they'll hate us too. But Christians, this is where the message breaks down for evangelicals. We don't have to fight back to take this country. That's foolishness. That's trying to fight fire with fire with Pharaoh. That's trying to get the Israelites to storm Egypt's capital. That's not the Lord's agenda. Instead, He gives it to us. To not fear. We truly do not have to fear because we don't, it doesn't matter what military divisions or police states we might be in from the right, politically speaking, or the left, politically speaking. Because through His own family, as pitiful as we are, the Lord, through His Gospel, will work signs and wonders in this world. Not through strength of arm, not through sword and spear, but as the great evangelist Billy Sunday once said, he'll work in this world, in this old world, till it is bound to the cross of Jesus Christ by the golden chains of love. Finally, the Lord reminds Moses and us in verse 5 that they will all know. Who is they? Sure, it's ancient Egypt. But through the Holy Spirit, we believe that this could be just as equally and truthfully applied to modern day America. So whether it's the ancient Egyptians or the modern day Americans, they will all know that I am the Lord. I will stretch out my hand, not only to afflict my foes, but to rescue my family. For I am the Lord, and you Maranatha are my people. Let's pray. Lord, help us to trust in You, our Father, who stretches out Your hand in judgment against all who would harm Your people. But Lord, help us also to be humble. Because while people will oppose us, remind us that Jesus the Son 
stretched out His hand on the cross to break our chains of sin and death even when we opposed Him. So equip us with love. Empower us with courage to be fools for You. Abandoning the power of this world to point even our enemies to the everlasting glory of the world that You are making for us, Your family. For it's in Jesus' name, the great I Am in the flesh, we pray. Amen.